Who in this room six weeks ago knew or had heard of Wuhan, China? I can tell you two people who had, two of my colleagues from First Fruits of Zion, Boaz Michael and Daniel Lancaster. Considering that I just spent four days in meetings with them, I'm glad that that was in 2014 that they traveled to Wuhan, China. Who six weeks ago could tell me what a coronavirus was? And furthermore, who was thinking about them every day? Glenn, you were thinking about coronaviruses every day? Not the beer, not, not that. <laughs> no, that's something else. That has a lime in it. <clears throat> a coronavirus is a, either, is it zootic, David? How do you pronounce it? Zoonotic, zoonotic disease. It means it's a type of disease that jumps from one species to another. Other examples, Ebola, Salmonella, rabies, Lyme disease. And I'm not equating our current interaction, COVID-19, with Ebola or rabies. I'm just giving some other examples of zoonotic diseases. Coronaviruses are common in pigs and bats. Swine flu, for example, was a coronavirus that jumped from pigs to people. The devastating pandemic Spanish flu of 1918 was a coronavirus that jumped from pigs to people. SARS and MERS both came from bats and both were forms of coronavirus. Who in the room is familiar with the Minnesota locust plagues that ravaged the land and the crops there for four straight years? Probably no one. What do they have in common? Those three questions. Well, these answers actually truly are affecting us at this point in history. And I heard a teaching that was delivered from Daniel Lancaster to his congregation last Friday. And I heard it online and I felt compelled to share it with you nearly verbatim with my own, with my own little bit of flair. And it was, by the way, a teaching moment from Hashem through his sermon to me to realize that my greatest task here is not really to teach, it's to protect, it's to shepherd, it's to guide, it's to lead. And so, I had a much more upbeat spiritual direction planned for today than to talk about something like this, but I need to teach and shepherd the congregation that God has given me to lead. So I wanna share um, something that begins with a story of Wuhan, two messianic teachers, and some canned tuna fish. This is Daniel's story. I'm not gonna read all of these things because that will put you immediately to sleep, but here's what he said. Before we left Hong Kong, we bought a sufficient food supply worth of tuna fish and crackers, and we packed it in a suitcase. It was a heavy suitcase. We knew we would not be able to find kosher food in Wuhan, and we were gonna live out of that suitcase for nearly a week, and they did with tuna fish and crackers. And Boaz said, when you went to open the, turn the door handle, you could hear all of the rats scurry away from that area of the corner where the food was stored. Daniel says, this wasn't a problem just for Boaz, it was for me. The problem of finding any food either one of us could eat in mainland China. When we arrived in Wuhan, we toured one of the local food markets where the list of prohibited animals in Leviticus 11 was treated as the menu at various food vendors. 
Pastor Peter, who was serving as our interpreter, showed us around and he warned us that even the chicken being served in that food court might likely be rat, disguised as chicken. It so happened that we were in Wuhan because my book, Daniel's book, The Holy Epistle to the Galatians, had just been translated into Chinese. We were there to do some teaching in connection with its release. This was a world where Jewish people simply did not exist. So it took a lot of background before I could teach Galatians. I needed to introduce the Christians to the concept of Jews and Gentiles and all these different things. I taught the ruling in Acts 15, the passage about the legal decision prohibiting Gentile disciples from eating meat of things strangled. I explained that this was first century terminology for eating animals that had not been properly slaughtered or eating live animals. At that point in the discussion, the pastor of the church asked me, how would those of us here in Wuhan keep this rule? A solely vegetarian diet seems obvious, but this is also made difficult by Acts 15. The vegetarian establishments are Buddhist, and the food served there might fall under the apostolic prohibition to not eat food sacrificed to idols. Wuhan being Wuhan, it seemed unlikely that the apostolic dietary standards could be enforced. So just the basic prohibition of the Noahide laws, not to eat a living animal, would have been an upgrade in Wuhan. Many Chinese people, though, have folk customs that suggest eating certain animals will convey medical benefit, and in some cases, they eat such animals while they are still alive, which the Torah forbids for everyone, and that is a transgression of one of the seven laws of Noah. And so once again, we see God's ancient wisdom in the Torah is beneficial for human beings. The Bible really does have the answers. No one knows how the current coronavirus pandemic from Wuhan began, but it's generally agreed it is a zoonotic disease that started in bats. There's no evidence of this, but early on a rumor circulated on the internet that the virus began with people eating bats, which is possible. Whether or not you knew Wuhan or zoonotic diseases six weeks ago, now you do. And by now, you should be familiar with the coronavirus epidemic, which is moving not just through Asia, but truly across the world. And now I'm back to being me. As of yesterday, roughly 100,162 cases with 3,406 deaths, 3,000 of which have occurred in mainland China. In 93 affected countries and territories, there are 40,944 infected patients, that is, as of yesterday. 6,278 of them are serious or critical. 59,218 of them are closed cases. 3,400 closed for good. It started in Wuhan. If you've been following the story or watching the news, you would have seen that whole province shut down. I saw a meme of, uh, of a guy in a hazmat suit walking down the street, and he said, honey, you want to go get some Chinese food? Well, I should have showed the picture. You can't share a meme. But anyway, they shut the whole thing down. Which, thank God, because it bought us at least a few extra weeks of preparation. And I remember my dad saying, I was there for a Thursday doing surgery. He was watching the news. My dad sends me the most obscure news articles. 
the weirdest things. Like I wonder how has he ever, how does he find time to work scouring the internet for these super weird news stories? But I remember his face and I remember him telling me, do you know how they have 20,000 people quarantined in that city? He said, we are not getting the whole story. Something's up. And I was like, dad, please. But there's normally a, a thick, heavy cloud over that region from all the industrial smoke. It's blown away because everyone's locked down inside. The headline, Wuhan flu, emerged back in January around the second or third week. And why would that get much attention, you would ask? It's the flu. It's China. It happens every single year. How many commercials do we hear every single year about it's cold and flu season, it's cold and flu season, you need to take this, you need to take that. I, like my colleague Daniel, am not an alarmist. I'm not a conspiracy theorist. I don't jump into, I'm not a fear monger. The CDC estimates this far, so far this season there have been 32 million flu illnesses, 310,000 hospitalizations, and 18,000 deaths from the flu. It happens. Most of us get better. Tragically. And we recall the story of beautiful 21-year-old Yael Good. Not everyone gets better. May her name be, may her memory be for a blessing. But it has become obvious that this belongs to a different category. Coronaviruses are not new. This one brings something new to the table. It is a highly infectious disease, which can be pa passed on asymptomatically. That means you don't know you have it. And you may actually never know you have it without ha and, and, and yet still be able to transfer it to tons of people. China tried by shutting down the country. It didn't work. 93 countries, and yet we still have not declared this a pandemic. Now, I think a pandemic means that it just is like in a lot of places and people are getting sick, and I think we could say that's happened, but we're not the World Health Organization, so we won't worry about the terminology. <clears throat> so what do we do when a highly infectious disease is posing a danger? Judaism has an answer for you. It's the same thing you do when a locust plague threatens or a drought or a blight on crops or sickness in your farm animals or any natural disaster or any calamity threatens you or the threat of invasion from foreigners. All of these things, you ready? You fast and pray. It's not that complicated really, is it? It's not deep Jewish wisdom. Fast and and pray. Historically, when such things have arisen in the past, the leadership of the Jewish community has declared a fast. We read this in Joel. Prophet Joel, we sang some Joel today. A locust plague descended upon the land of Israel, an invading army. They were stripping the land. Everything was gone. Starvation was inevitable. The people fasted and prayed. The Lord spoke to them through the prophet Joel, who said, 
Yet even now, declares the Lord, return to me with all your heart, with fasting, with weeping, with mourning. Rend your hearts, not your garments. Return to the Lord your God, for he's gracious and merciful, slow to anger, abounding in steadfast love, and he relents over disaster. Who knows whether he will turn and relent and leave a blessing behind him, a grain offering and a drink offering to the Lord your God. Blow the trumpet in Zion. Consecrate the congregation, assemble the elders, gather the children, even nursing infants. Let the bridegroom leave his room and the bride her chamber. Between the vestibule, 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 what is it? Vestibule. Vestibule. Between the vestibule. And the altar, let the priests, the ministers, I'm just kidding, the ministers of the Lord weep and say, spare your people, O Lord, make not your heritage a reproach, a byword among the nations. Why should they say among the peoples, where is their God? Then the Lord became jealous for his land and had pity on his people. Joel declared a fast, the people fasted, the Lord relented, he stopped the locust plague. And because Daniel Lancaster, who is from Minnesota, was sharing this teaching, and because I referenced this locust plague in Minnesota, anyone ever heard of Governor Pillsbury? Yes, you know him. (laughs) He started the Pillsbury Company. There used to be locust plagues that came sweeping through the great plains of Minnesota. Governor Pillsbury declared a day of prayer and fasting, April 26, 1877, imploring deliverance from the plagues of grasshoppers that had ravaged those crops for four years. Over the next two days, unusually warm weather caused millions of locust larvae to hatch, but then temperatures plunged again, freezing the larvae to death. A chapel was built at Cold Springs, Minnesota, commemorated the miracle. There's never been a locust plague in Minnesota since. That's just happenstance. That's coincidence. I don't care. I don't believe that. Likewise, Israel, five years of drought, prayers, prayers, and fasting. The last two years have had abundant rain in the land. We have certainly had abundant rain (laughs) as well. The threat The correct response to calamity is prayer, fasting, and repentance. Once, you'll remember, a tower fell in Jerusalem, and 18 people were killed. Remember it? And Yeshua said, do you think that those 18 people were worse offenders than all the others who lived in Jerusalem? No, I tell you, but unless you repent, you will all likewise perish. That's the correct way to interpret things. When calamities happen, we pray. We fast and pray as a people. It's the economy of the Bible. God uses things to draw us closer to him. And sometimes in order to get closer to him, we have to let go of the things that consume us every day, which for so many Americans is what we eat and what we do. We fast and we pray. We take calamity as indications that we should repent, cling to godliness, turn away from this world. And one might wonder if this epidemic slash 
pandemic is a sign of the destruction of the world and the judgment is on us for some specific thing. It's interesting. It's interesting to see how hyper-charismatic personalities out of the very same mouth can say, this is a media, this is a media thing. It's a scam. The, the flu kills more people. And then out of the other side, God's declaring judgment on the earth. We're all going to die. I think it is irresponsible for teachers in this position to stand up here and say that to people. This is a sign, you know, this is the end. This is a judgment from God. No one gets to do that except the prophets. And believe me, there have been countless events through history. I think of quickly the Holocaust, where clearly you could look and say, this has surely got to be the end. World wars, millions and millions of people dying, black plagues and everything. I mean, you don't get to say that, me or you. That's the prophet's job, and we don't have any of those floating around. But it is tempting when we see wars and rumors of wars and diseases to sound this alarm and say the end is at hand. But what does Yeshua say? Don't be alarmed. That's what he says. He said that there will be wars and rumors of wars and earthquakes and plagues and famines in various places, but these are the beginnings, that's comforting, of the birth pangs. Birth pangs of Messiah, by the way, a very Jewish concept. A huge part of the correct response to these things is always going to be the same. Prayer, fasting, repentance. But the situation offers us this unique chance that we don't slow down enough to consider. You can be grateful actually every day and positive that you wake up and healthy and thank God. And who knows, you just might start a habit of starting your day by saying, thank you, God, that I'm healthy, that my family is healthy, healthy to be positive, show gratitude for every breath we take. It's like the story of King Jehoshaphat. An invading army entered the land. The Edomites were coming. He summoned the people to the temple, declared a fast. They cried out to the Lord in prayer. He performed a miracle. He saved them. Joel, locusts, Minnesota locusts. There's an interesting story in the Talmud. Once Shmuel was informed that pestilence was raging amongst the inhabitants of Behozai. And he ordained a fast. They said to him, surely Behoziah is a long distance away from here. He replied, do you think border crossings will prevent it from spreading? It's interesting to note that these seemingly ancient, ignorant people knew a whole lot. There's stuff about pigs and transmission to disease and all kinds of things in there. But this this thing that we're dealing with, and no one, not, I bet not one of you walked in here and said, my goodness, I am really concerned about Corona. I hope he talks about it today. I'm scared. I bet not one of you did, and that's good. However, this is a disease, coronavirus, COVID-19 is a disease that has never been in human beings before. We have no immunities. We don't have antibodies. It's not a respecter of borders. It doesn't care if you're a Republican or a Democrat, your ethnicity, your national origin. It doesn't care about the stock market, but the stock market cares about it. You've seen it? Woo! 
It has no respect for boundaries. Epidemiologists conservatively estimate 60% of the population, planet Earth, will contract this disease. Sooner or later, Baruch Hashem, most people will not die. 3.4% death rate is the World Health Organization's, as of yesterday, mortality projection. Almost half of the people will have no symptoms or very, very mild symptoms, like a few days down with the flu. That's good news because it could be far, far, far worse. For most people, we will scarcely notice it. A small minority will experience what feels like the flu. That's not so bad. So what's the big scare about? Why are we, why are we, why is there this thing in the stock markets and every, I flew last week, the airport, my goodness, man, the masks and just all this other kind of stuff. It's, it's really incredible and it hasn't actually gotten to Macon. So while I was in Missouri, newsfeed pops up, uh, Corona's in Atlanta, and I'm flying back to the Atlanta airport. Yes! No! There is a smaller percentage of cases who will suffer some complications, could result in pneumonia, hospitalization, and a smaller will have damage to the lungs. And you know what? 3.4%, that's not that bad. Something happened in 1918. I told you about the coronavirus, the Spanish flu. 2 to 3%. 1 to 2% doesn't sound bad until you start until you begin to run those numbers against a population of 8 billion people. 2% of 8 billion is a lot of people actually. The good news is if you get it, you'll probably survive. So I thought about entitling this message, Corona No Lime. Because see, Lime, L-Y-M-D is also one of those, no, forget it. But, well, I said I wasn't because coronavirus isn't a joke and then I made a joke anyway. So forgive me, it's not a joke. It's not a joke at all. It's a serious problem. And we're looking beyond China now, and we're looking beyond the media and saying this isn't some, you know, in, in uh, some conspiracy. We don't panic over stuff like this. That's a given. We're disciples of Yeshua. Our hope isn't in this world. Yeshua teaches us not to fear that which can only harm the body. And perhaps what we're seeing is the next round of the birth pangs. And who knows how long they could go. But something is happening. And that's actually a good thing because every one of those indicates that the Messiah is actually closer to returning, which is what we want, right? We want it on our terms, of course. But when you see these things happening, lift up your heads for your redemption is drawing nigh. So we wait. We keep waiting, watching, our eyes searching the clouds. Secondly, as disciples of Yeshua, we remember that Yeshua has healed, right? He is the healer. Our master carried our diseases and sicknesses. There's healing in his hands. Third, we should repent fast and pray. That's not just me saying that. That's a real thing that works. Fourth, we should take advantage of situations like this. 
We can look for opportunities to increase in the mitzvot. We can look for ways that we can help. Now, we're talking about a highly contagious disease. That sounds like a contradiction for sure. But you have to just be careful. And as promised, here are a few common sense, practical, pragmatic things to do. I learned this from our retired lieutenant colonel friend who taught me a word, two words, situational awareness. It's used in the battlefront. It's used actually, once you know it, everywhere you go, when you sit down to eat, wherever you are, take stock of your, at, of your environment. Sounds paranoid. Know where the exit doors are. Know all these things. That's called situational awareness. You can use that for this as well. Watch people who are coughing and snotting and sneezing and doing stuff. Don't go by them if you can help it. That's situational awareness. You know, just, just a little common sense. The other thing is, the, the most common way, and we have two physicians here, one an ER physician. Pray for him, by the way, because where do you think these things show up? Pray especially for Ralph. But these are mainly transferred, I think, through respiratory, like coughing and stuff, but there's also touch, you know? It doesn't live forever on a surface, but you want to be careful. And so everyone I greeted this morning, we were giving it the old, hey, Shabbat Shalom. That's ridiculous, Damien. You really are paranoid. Well, sort of right now, but I'm not. I'm just saying, if things develop, caution and common sense. Even in our atmosphere where we all love each other, it doesn't mean that necessarily it's the best thing to do when asymptomatic things are going on that for all you know, God forbid, I have it. And I'm giving you a huge hug. Ah, Shabbat, Shabbat Shalom. You know? So we're cautious. We just be cautious and common sense. Wash your hands a lot. That's a good habit anyway. I can't believe I actually came to a religious service to hear this. Believe it. I'm looking out for you. This is a rule for all time. You ready for this? If you're sick, don't come here. If you have a fever, don't come here. If your kids are sick, don't come here. We love you. We'll help you however we can, but don't come here. Do you know that the first two cases in Atlanta, you heard about this? The guy flew in from Italy, didn't feel good, had enough wherewithal and sacrificial intention that he said, I better lock myself away. At least this is the last story I heard. His son got corona. But I mean, he did the right thing. Overly cautious, I might say. So he's been quarantined with his family in their house, but that hasn't stopped it from sending, uh, passing around. But third, and here's where you're going to maybe think I am kind of just off my rocker. I said, I asked you, what does this have to do? Wuhan, Messianic teachers, Kanzatuna, and locusts. What do they have in common? Well, all of these things. But I would recommend that you get a few things to have at home. 
in case, realistically, in case there was a necessary quarantine or something really out of the ordinary happened, which is highly unlikely. But if you get sick and someone tells you you're not leaving, it'd be nice to eat, wouldn't it? So think about that and just be aware when you go to the grocery store and pick up a couple of few things to have around so that in case you needed them. And as the leadership here, we will continue very much to watch this situation. And God forbid, if there was some reason to cancel services, we would do that and we would tell you in advance and it would be good. And you'll celebrate in your homes the Shabbat. I won't tell you. Well, I will tell you just because. And I'm not, you know, people say, don't say that. Satan's going to hear that and you're going to get it. <laughs> I told Kelly, let's see. If I were to have corona, what if I got it and knew about it on a Friday? That would mean a 14-day quarantine period. That would be one Saturday, two Saturdays, three Saturdays. A vacation! God forbid. I don't want to be gone three Saturdays. I'm kidding. And again, I hope it turns out to be nothing. But, you know, bummer, dude. Bummer. It's, it's Purim. We're about to celebrate the most. Speaking of Corona, it's Purim. I mean, it's the only allowed day to have more than one. What a Bummer message, man. Joy, joy, joy. Where's our upbeat Purim and talking about Haman and, and Hamantashen and all this stuff? Well, here you go. You ready? I'll make a Purim connection for you. The true story of Purim is God's protection for his people. That's what the story is about. And it is also about the prayer and fasting of God's people. And it is about his answer and deliverance from annihilation of an enemy who wanted to destroy you. So here's your Purim connection. For our part, our main response to this, beyond tuna fish, no, above tuna fish, is prayer. It's prayer, and we can be a congregation who does that. First Fruits of Zion recently sent out a message that has, thank God, pun intended, gone viral. <laughs> that went out to the whole Messianic Jewish movement. And Messianic Jewish organizations that don't necessarily see eye to eye see very much eye to eye on this, which is a call to prayer. And I posted it on our Facebook page yesterday. There's a PDF. Beseeching, First Root sent this, beseeching them to, uh, to all to join in a prayer of fasting. When? Monday, which is the fast of Esther. It's almost like God knew what he was doing. No, he does. So, Take that prayer, get it off, get it, we'll try to, you can go to Facebook and get it. If you're not on Facebook, I guess we can try to remember to send an email out, Darren. Yes? So, here's the, here's the conclusion, you ready? Like I said, I know no one in here is 
Not one person has sent me an email or called me and said, I'm really concerned. I know that. This is what you call preventive something. What is it? Preventive measures. This is what you call vestibule. No. I just wanted to say it once so you knew I actually could say it. It's scary, though, sometimes to imagine what could happen in the future. That is the reality of life. We have that. But the disciple of Yeshua does not do that. We have it, and we let it like we're sitting on the riverbank watching boats go by. That's what we do with our fears and our anxieties. Yeshua said, they don't help you. Just get rid of them. So what if we become sick? We'll turn to the one who carries our sicknesses. What if our loved ones become sick? We entrust them to his loving care. What if we perish? God forbid. We've already died with Messiah and will be raised up with him again. Yeshua says, unless a person takes up his cross daily, willing to die daily, he cannot be my disciple. From this perspective, it's clear that the disciples of Yeshua are the best prepared people on the face of the earth to face a challenge like this new coronavirus. Beloved, 3 John 1-2, beloved, I pray that all may go well with you and that you may be in good health as it goes well with your soul. Shabbat Shalom. We're building the kingdom and thankful that you're a part of that mission. If this teaching inspired you, please consider a financial gift to support the work of Shalom Macon. Visit MaconMessianic.com and click Give Online. May the Lord bless and keep you.